Today, our first reading from God's Word comes from the New Testament epistle, 1 Peter. I'll be reading from the first chapter, starting with the third verse. Listen now to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now, for a little while, you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Discipline yourselves. Set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. The word of the Lord. I assigned that reading to Aunt Ellen, who is Sally's aunt, um, because I know Ellen's an amazing reader, and some of the epistles in the New Testament aren't easy to read out loud, definitely. So thank you, Ellen. Our second reading from Scripture also comes from the New Testament. This time, though, a little easier, a narrative portion from the book of Acts. Acts is, we believe, Luke's second volume. Luke wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke, but we believe also... Not only did he tell the story of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, but also the good news of the birth and early days and years of our Christian church. So listen now for what the Spirit is saying to the church today. In this uh, section of the very famous chapter 2 of the book of Acts, I should say that right before we pick up here in verse 24, Peter, who is giving a sermon... Uh, has just pointed out that the people listening had betrayed Jesus, abandoned him, um, ran away, frankly, uh, to save themselves. And then he was tortured, he was tried, and ultimately crucified. And then again, as I say, we pick up at the 24th verse. But God raised him up, having freed Jesus from death because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear today. 
Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified, the word of the Lord. Amen. Just a quick thank you to all of Sally's loved ones and family who are here today to help celebrate her baptism. You're part of our promises of love and commitment to her and to her family, and we really can't do it without you. Uh, we're, gonna te- we're privileged and honored to team up with you for the rest of Sally's life and yours to uh, prioritize her, uh, as, along with all the other children we're privileged to know in our lives and our prayers and our efforts and our energy. So thank you. Let's pray together. May the meditations of our hearts together this morning, O oh God, on your word to us be both acceptable in your sight, but also life-giving and party-causing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to be thrilled to know that today's sermon is a sermon about a sermon. Specifically, uh, this sermon is going to try to tell us something about a sermon that's telling us something. This sermon, I hope, won't quite be as crazy or irrational as the sermon that we're looking at in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Because in this sermon, Peter stands up in the middle of Jerusalem after Jesus has been executed, everybody knows it, it's public record, and says something completely insane. A lot of you are too young for this, but I'm a movie buff, classic film, Animal House. There's a scene where the Delta fraternity, which has a cumulative grade point average of 0.01 or something like that, and is about to, has already been told they've been kicked off of campus and their charter is being revoked from Faber College. Knowledge is good. They're sitting around moping and feeling sorry for themselves when Bluto, played by the genius John Belushi, says, what? Over? Did you say over? Nothing is over until we decide it is. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? No! And then the two leaders of the fraternity go, don't stop him, he's on a roll. It ain't over now, because we're going to, and the going gets tough, the tough get going. Who's with me? Let's go, come on. And he runs out of the room, and nobody follows him. The first time. Ultimately, they do, and I won't ruin the very theological conclusion to that (laughs) classic film. But Otter, one of the leaders of the fraternity, the Delta, um, By the way, Bluto had a 0.00 grade point average. He brought the overall GPA down. But Otter, at the end of, after they they decide they're going to try, even though it all looks lost, he says, Bluto's right, psychotic, but absolutely right. What Peter has to say in this text should make you laugh, or at least be aware that the people who listened to him on that day, so long ago, probably laughed or dismissed him out of hand as psychotic or irrational or naive or a religious zealot, whatever it might be. Um, And you may think that as well. I mean, death is death, right? When it's over, 
It's over. Or is it? Peter preaches a sermon which sort of reflects the words I heard many, many years ago uh, before I was a Presbyterian. I heard Leighton Ford, who was Billy Graham's brother-in-law. I think he's still living in his 90s now. But he said, as, uh, you know, uh, on a reflection when I was in college and I went to hear him speak, he said, you know, if it's up to me, this relationship with God that we all long for, by whatever name we use, just this fulfillment, this contentment, this peace, if it's up to you and me, we can never know. We simply can't. We're ne- Even if we're good enough for a moment, we're not good enough consistently to deserve what God offers us for free. That's why we baptized Sally this morning. Even before she's grown to form strong opinions, I know her family, she will form strong opinions. He said, if it's up to me, you can never know. But it's not up to you and me. It's up to God. So Peter preaches this sermon, and so I'm going to preach a sermon about Peter's sermon. It's a crazy sermon, and I think sermons are important, don't you? Thank you. Do you know that I spend more time with my sermons than you do? Yeah. And you spend a lot of time with them. So I read about a preacher once who was shaking hands with his parishioners after worship, after preaching his sermon, and at the end of the line was a church member, you know, one of those church members who always says what they're really thinking, um, and always had something to say about the pastor's messages. This woman shook the pastor's hand warmly and said, Pastor, today your sermon reminded me of the peace and the love of God. And the pastor, as we do, so relieved that our sermons hit somebody where we hoped they would hit them, beamed and said, Ma'am, no one has ever said that about my preaching before. I thank you so much. Tell me, why did you feel that way? And she answered, Well, Pastor, your sermon reminded me, of, reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding, and it reminded me of the love of God because it endured forever. <laughs> Peter's sermon wasn't that long. He wasn't Presbyterian after all. He was Catholic, right? I mean, that's what we, what we were told. Uh, but Peter's Jesus' right-hand man at least according to three of the four Gospels. The Gospel of John has something else to say about who was closest to Jesus. Guess who John thought was closest to Jesus? John, right? But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's Peter, who is the first lieutenant, or whatever you might want to say. And in this sermon, this section of his sermon that he proclaims, sort of in the public square in that moment, he says three things. He says, first... Jesus, he reminds everyone, lived like all of us, died like all of us, suffered like all of us, cried and laughed and went to parties and weddings and drank wine. Ultimately, like all of us, was buried, like we all will be. But, Peter says, God raised this Jesus up, not a doppelganger, not someone who kind of looked like Jesus, not a specter, not not a ghost, this person with a body. It's been in that tomb for three days. God raised him up because it was impossible for Jesus to be held in death's power. That's point one. Second point Peter makes in his sermon is that this Jesus God raised up, and all of us are witnesses to that. And then finally, in good rhetorical high school and college expository paper fashion, 
Jesus, the, Peter uses an important word. Therefore, did you see it? Therefore, let the entire house of Israel, all the people of God, know with certainty that God has made this Jesus with the body, who died with the body, and has been raised up with the body, God has made this Jesus Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified, who, who was crucified. Know with certainty. Because of what I've just said, you and I should know with certainty. Now, I thought the only thing certain were death and taxes, right? And the fact that my football team won't be in the playoffs again for a long time. Therefore, it's always an important word to catch when you're reading scripture or anything else, frankly. This man whom you crucified, Peter says, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, this is the man I'm talking about. The first point is that the centerpiece of our faith, of Sally's faith, of the faith of her family, as we commit to loving her because God has committed to loving us, was a real person. We know from historical Roman records of executions that Jesus, whose last name, by the way, was not Christ, but of Nazareth, or Ben Joseph, son of Joseph, was executed. Victoria Arbor is an expert on the British royal family. Uh, actually, I live with an expert on the British royal family. Um, but Victoria Arbor is a commentator on CNN. Sarah, my wife, comments at home. Um, in an interview one time, Victoria Arbiter uh, Ar 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 listed the four primary things that all of us should know whenever we have an encounter with or meet a member of the royal family. And by the way, here in this church, we are kind of connected to the royal family. Ask me about it later. Uh, but we all should know this just in case, right? Um, we have some royal fam familians living in the United States these days, I understand. Uh, for starters, it's against royal protocol, so don't do this, to take a selfie with a member of the royal family. Did you know that? It's recommended also that citizens of any country in the world bow or curtsy whenever they meet royalty. Never call a member of the royal family by their first name and always refer to them by their title, such as your majesty or your royal highness. Around my house, I use those same titles. Um, but here's the most important rule of royal protocol. Never, and I mean never, ever, ever touch a member of the royal family, okay? So just don't even think about it. Now think about that. The final most important rule is to not touch a member of royalty. And then think about this person whom we claim to be king, leader of our faith, who says, it's okay, go ahead and touch me. I'm like you. I'm exactly like you. Breathe, laugh, sweat, get tired, get frustrated, forget things like I did this morning, had to go back home. That's how Jesus lived the same life, right? The Almighty God, the great I Am, could have remained distant and untouchable. A lot of us even, unfortunately, treat him like that still. But that's not who he was, and that's not who he is. The Almighty God has revealed God's self through this real person. Presbyterian Christians believe that 
God offers God's self to the world as Jesus. That's how we know God. And that is an accessible, down-to-earth, literally and figuratively, divine presence who loves you. And the second thing Peter says in this first part of this sermon is, it was impossible for Jesus, this Jesus, to be held in death's power. That's the amazing thing about him, or one of them, because the first thing is that he's like us and wants to be like us. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of uh, the second George Bush president. Um, I like him more and more as the years go on. But I always did think he'd be a person you could have a beer with if I drank beer. Um, that accessibility is a, really a strength, isn't it? Jesus is like you and I, and he also is this personage that is not able to be held or contained by death. In 2014, a pastor from Florida, by the way, and this I'm pointing this out just so you have your own experience and context, decided to get into the Guinness Book of World Records by preaching the longest sermon on record. I am not going to try to beat him today. This guy, Pastor Zach Zender, took 50 of his sermons and hooked them end to end, all of which covered the major themes in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and he preached a sermon, are you comfortable, that lasted 53 hours and 18 minutes. I've never gotten close to that. It was a fundraiser, and it raised quite a few funds. People cheered him on. But what he said afterwards, you know, exhausted, you think he was exhausted, they said, what about us? But he said what really struck him, looking back over what he, his preaching, was this, what he calls this ridiculous commitment to God's people that God has. God's ridiculous commitment to us. Crazy, insane, ridiculous, whatever you want to call it. It doesn't make sense. We certainly don't deserve it, but that's who God is. And that's what this pastor who preached the entire Bible took 53 hours to do it. What is that? A little over two days? Straight? He said, what really came out as I, read, as I preached through the Old and New Testament is this idea that God is insanely committed to us. That's the kind of love that this accessible God has for you and for me. Peter's audience that day was primarily Jewish. It's a festival day in Jerusalem. People have come in for the Passover feast and for the Passover celebration. And as he now is basically telling them, look, the person you've been expecting has finally arrived, they would have had a lot of questions just like we do today. They would have wondered, what was he talking about and what are the implications for me? And it turns out that one Peter's message is that they don't have to give up their identity, in this case, their Jewish identity and traditions, be in the presence of God to welcome this love and grace and forgiveness and care and inspiration that comes from Jesus. Instead, their worship and their lives are now illumined by the knowledge that the God of their ancestors, the God of their traditions, the God to whom they've devoted their lives is now touchable, accessible, reachable, followable. The God who chooses to love us gives us the ability to love. That's what Easter accomplishes, according to Peter. And finally, Peter says, we are witnesses to this. Did you know that you're a witness to the resurrection? 
You saw a little bit ago when Sally was walking up, was dragging Samantha up and down the aisle. Right? We've experienced life where there should have been no life. We've experienced hope and a second chance when we thought the party was over. I'm going back in time now as well, referring to a very, very famous singer who on Monday Night Football, back when there, was only th there were only three channels and all of us watched it, when the game was over, Dandy Don Meredith, retired quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys, would sing, turn out the lights, the party's over. They say that all good things must end. That's how you say it. He was saying, hope's gone. It's done. Just like all those Delta fraternity guys were thinking, except for one. Do you remember the end of Ferris Bueller's Day Off? When Matthew Broderick and the character of Ferris Bueller breaks that wall and looks at the camera and goes, are you still here? Go home. It's over. It's not over. That's what Peter's saying today. This Jesus really died, but death couldn't hold him. You'd think it was over. You'd think it was over for you if the truth of your life came out, perhaps, or if things keep going the way they're going in this world. But it's not. It's not over because of who God is and God's insane love for you, God's insane commitment and dedication to every person on this planet, to any person on this planet. Because the love doesn't depend on the recipient. It depends on the giver. The decisive part of our relationship with God, which means of our lives, is not how much or how well you and I do. The decisive piece of our existence is how much and how infinitely God loves us. So, it's time to throw a party. Don't turn out the lights. Turn them on. Celebrate. Celebrate. Dance to the music, even if you're Presbyterian. Right? We're getting better at rhythm. Right? We're willing, if we think about it, to smile and even maybe act on this amazing gift that we have. We did that today. We answered the question, actually, the verse that I didn't put in at the end, the people go, oh my gosh, you tell us this amazing sermon, Peter. What should we do? Well, we answered it. We baptized. There's no greater joy than to celebrate a life that is possible now to be an abundant, fulfilled Sally Cowan Julia. What a miracle of creation. And you are the same miracle, and so is every human being you see. It is worth celebrating. And that's what we can do, even if it's irrational, naive, or maybe psychotic. May it be so. Amen.